Hello and welcome to this edition of the Ian Abernethy podcast. You can watch videos and listen to other podcast episodes by visiting www.ianabernethy.com. So, without further ado, here's Ian Abernethy. Hello, I'm Ian Abernethy and welcome to the podcast. I'd like to begin by apologising that we didn't get a podcast to you in February, although I do have a good excuse. And that excuse is, uh, I was busy getting Jison 4 ready, which is the free online practical martial arts magazine. Uh, so the fourth issue of that has been out for a few weeks now, proving very popular. In fact, the magazine as a whole has proved so popular that we've now set up a dedicated website for it. So if you go to www.jisenmag.com, you can download the latest issue and subscribe to the dedicated Jison uh, newsletters too. Uh, which um, are separate to the Ian Abernethy uh, newsletters. But, of course, just, you can still find it on ianabernethy.com uh, as well. But if you want to check out the dedicated site and those newsletters, then by all means uh, do so. Uh, the other quick bit of news is real, uh, in regards to SATMA, the Society of Applied Traditional Martial Arts. Uh, I felt for a while now there's been a need for a, um, a body, an international body, uh, that pragmatic traditionalists can uh, um, uh, affiliate to, um, to help them pr- promote themselves, what they do, and help further the pragmatic side of the martial arts. Uh, if that sounds like something of interest to you, you can find more details on uh, how we envisage uh, it all working uh, on the website. If you go to the news page of ianabernethy.com uh, and then click on the Satma logo, you'll take you to a page where all the information's there. Uh, we've had hundreds and hundreds of people um, so far uh, register an interest, which just goes to prove that I'm not alone in thinking that we, we need such a body. Uh, and very soon I'm going to do a, a podcast, a dedicated Satma podcast, to let those who've uh, expressed an interest know where we are. Obviously lots to be done from mundane stuff like organising t-shirts and gi badges and uh, record books and all that kind of stuff, uh, right through to uh, organising the paperwork for membership requirements and getting uh, things set up for the sites and all that kind of stuff. Um, but we'll, hopefully we'll be up and running within the, the next couple of months. And like I say, we're going to do a podcast um, just to let people who've expressed an interest know where we are and answer a few uh, questions that have been coming in. Uh, we obviously don't want, if you're not interested in it, then we don't want to be bothering you with, with it. So, um, But if you if it sounds like it may be something of interest, have a look at the site, see if it's for you, um, and then just send us an email at satma, S-A-T-M-A, at ianabernethy.com, I-A-I-N-A-B-E-R-N-E-T-H-Y.com. Um, I'll add you to the uh, mail list. No obligation, of course. It's just so we know who to send the information to. And uh, we'll let you know all about it, how it's progressing, and then uh, you can decide if it's something you want to be part of or not. Okay, so uh, this month's uh, podcast uh, on the controversial subject of weapon defence and how that relates to um, kata, of course. Um, I hope you do find this uh, this podcast uh, interesting. And uh, as always, you know, if you if you, you want to kind of get a discussion going on it, then please feel free to pop along to the forum at ianabernethy.com. Um, always interested to hear other people's views. And obviously in this podcast we'll discuss mine on the subject of weapons defence and how that relates to traditional kata. In this podcast, we're going to be looking at the subject of weapon defence, and we're going to see how Qatar addresses 
uh, that vitally important area. Now, most people, certainly the people listening to this podcast, understand and accept that kata contains not just the striking methods generally associated with karate, but also a whole host of other close-range methods, including limb control, close-range striking, grappling, locking, throws, takedowns, chokes, strangles, gouges, and so on and so forth. Uh, but what about weapon defence? You know, in today's society, the enemy may well be armed, so how does the kata address that? Or, you know, is, is that an area where kata's lacking? Um, so I think to start with, one of the key things that we need to understand about kata is the type of combat it was created to address. In 1908, Anko Itosu, the creator of the Pinan Hian katas, and the man who essentially started the process that led to modern karate, um, he wrote his Ten Precepts of Karate. Now in this document, Itosu makes a very important distinction. Now Itosu wrote, Karate is not intended to be used against a single adversary, but instead it is a means of avoiding injury by using the hands and feet, should one, by chance, be confronted by a villain or ruffian. I'll just read that again. So karate is not intended to be used against a single adversary, but it instead it is a means of avoiding injury by using the hands and feet, should one, by chance, be confronted by a villain or ruffian. So that's really important. Now, essentially, what Itosu is telling us is that the karate of his day, which is the karate of the, the kata, uh, was not for a square go or a consensual fight with a single opponent, um, such as you find in a sporting match, but karate was instead a means of avoiding injury when confronted by villains and ruffians. Itosu is therefore quite clear that karate was for self-protection and not a one-on-one -on -one fight. Um, now this has profound implications which are often overlooked because many people don't understand the differences between the square go and the needs of self-protection. Now when we train for a, a square go or a consensual fight, we need to include things like skilled footwork, closing the gap, using feints, uh, guards, provoking trained responses and so on. Um, but none of this is really relevant to self-protection where the aim isn't to win fights, but to use Itosu's words, to, uh, the aim is to avoid injury. Uh, so fighting's not the same as self-protection. Now it's outside the scope of this podcast to discuss you know, the differences in detail, but for now it's enough to understand that fighting is essentially what happens when self-protection goes wrong. So if your training is wholly focused on fighting skills, uh, then you won't be effectively addressing the needs of self-protection. Uh, now assuming that the two are the same is a dangerous assumption. Um, now there's no reason in our training why we can't address both areas, but, but the difference between them needs to be clearly understood and reflected in your training. So you'll forget the myth of street fighting, whatever the hell that is, you know, and take an honest look at what self-protection really involves. Um, now from this perspective you'll be able to better understand and evaluate the methods recorded in traditional kata. So if we have a little look at what, what self-protection involves, now firstly we'll look at it from the perspective of unarmed enemies and then the perspective of armed enemies. Now in broad terms, for self-protection, not fighting, uh, the way we would deal with uh, a potential um, assailant would be this. A, we ensure that we go about our business in a way that does not put us uh, in potentially dangerous situations or compromises our safety. B, we keep aware so that if a potential situation does start to develop, we can correctly assess what action is required to avoid it. Um, now this need for awareness uh, so we can evaluate any potential danger and assess the best way to avoid it was emphasised in the writings of past masters such as Funakoshi, Otsuka, Mabuni, Motobu and loads of others. Um, the procedures of threat awareness, threat assessment and threat avoidance need to be central to any self-protection study and the study of civilian systems such as karate. So, okay, so having become aware of a potential situation, how do we address it? 
So C, the first choice would be to remove ourselves from the vicinity and hence best avoid uh, physical injury and potential legal problems as well, I guess. D, if fleeing is not immediately possible, then we should uh, work to defuse the situation or, if needed, preemptively strike in order to facilitate escape. And finally, E, if all of it's failed and things have become physical, then the enemy or enemies need to be incapacitated. Um, we should not fight with a defensive or reactive mindset, but instead brutally and explosively attack the enemy such that they are quickly incapacitated. And by that I mean they're unconscious or so disorientated that fleeing is uh, you know, now a, a, poss a possibility. So to do this we need to get stuck in, control limbs and strongly and repeatedly strike the head and neck. Because that, you know, the head and neck are essentially the body's um, uh, main control centres. When that goes, everything else goes with it. You, know, you can break a guy's arm and he can still fight. Uh, once he's unconscious, you, know, you haven't got that problem anymore. So if we look at a square go or a consensual fight, well, it's very common for the distance to be exaggerated. And at this exaggerated distance, it's common for the non-striking hand, the one that's not hitting the guy, to be held in a guard, so you know, typically up by the chin. Now at close range, the non-striking hand should be put to active use. Um, it should be telling us where the enemy's head is, um, which is needed in the chaos of conflict. I mean, it's, when I say that to people, you know, your other hand should tell you where your enemy's head is. They'll look at you as if you say, well, it's on top of his neck, you know. But in the movement and the mess, it's it's not that simple. But if you've got one hand, like, uh, locating the opponent, you, then you know where the head is, you've got a feel for where it is. So you can strike with the the other hand and do that repeatedly and explosively so we can incapacitate them. Now, as we're trying to smash the enemy's head, the control centre, the enemy's arms might get in the way between your arms and their head, uh, should the enemy flinch or attempt to protect themselves in some other way. Now then, you would use the non-striking hand to clear those limbs out of the way so you can continually strike the target. Now the key is to violently and explosively hit the head and neck, which as we said are effectively the body's off switches. Take out the control centre and everything else ceases to function. Now, it should be remembered that within kata, the non-striking hand is always performing one of those two functions. It will either be locating the opponent's head, or it'll be controlling the limbs. You'll find no guards in kata, you know, so there's no hand guarding your solar plexus or guarding anything else. Guards are something we use in a square go. Now, it should also be remembered that Motobu cautioned us against uh, dead hands in you know, hands being inactive in combat. And he said that, we should, we should never have a shite, you know, it's Japanese for a dead hand. So just to quickly kind of recap what we've been discussing, all right? So in a civilian self-defense situation, um, this is the, me the me methods we would use, okay? A, ensure we go about our business in a way that does not put us in potentially dangerous situations or compromises our safety. B, keep aware so that if a situation does develop, we can correctly assess what action is required to avoid it. C. First choice should be to remove ourselves from the vicinity and uh, hence avoid the physical injury or potential legal issues. So if it looks like it's going to go that way, let's get away from the situation. Let's, let's get away from it. Again, it's not about fighting, it's about avoiding fighting. Uh, D. If fleeing is not immediately possible, then we should work to defuse the situation or preemptively strike so we can facilitate escape. And E. And finally, so if all of that's failed and things have to become physical, uh, then the enemy or enemies need to be incapacitated. So we need to take control and explosively attack the enemy's head and neck, using the non-striking hand to locate the head in the chaos of combat and to control the enemy's limbs so we can effectively strike them. We can get to the control centre, we can get to the head and neck. So, I mean, to me, that that is what we would do for self-protection, and that's the hierarchy of it, you know. It, it, 
awareness and avoidance are way, way more important than the physical skills. So, okay, so that's what we do for the enemy's unarmed. Now, I'd ask, I'd ask you, you know, what part of that is different if the enemy is armed? Awareness and avoidance are again key to avoiding weapons. I, mean, I can't stress that enough, really. Um, however, if it does come to hands-on combat, which is always bad news, uh, weapon defence is a very misleading term to my mind, as it infers we defend ourselves against weapons. And we don't. We do not defend ourselves against weapons. We protect ourselves against the people who are holding the weapons, and we do that by attacking them. Uh, you need to take the fight to the enemy in this most desperate of situations, as any form of passivity uh, will quickly and severely be punished. Um, so it's much more about enemy attack than weapon defence. Um, the weapon is a neutral entity. It's the person holding the weapon that makes it a, th a threat. You know, I put a knife on the floor. It's not a threat to me unless I trip over it or fall on it. You know, the reason that weapon is a threat to me is because there's a person holding it and using it. Uh, now, that armed person will always be a threat until you're away from them. You've escaped them. You're so great a distance they can't harm you. Or they are incapacitated. Now, that's exactly the same for an unarmed opponent. In self-protection, you either need to be away from them or they need to be unconscious. It's the same concept whether they're armed or unarmed. Now, if we're talking about, you know, disarms and things, you know, that, that's often when people think of weapon defences, they often think about, again, the fixate on the weapon. How do I get the weapon out of the enemy's hands? Well, knock him out. Knock him out and he won't keep hold of it, you know. Um, a colleague um, uh, once said that to me. You know, he said, you know, the best way to defang the snake, as in, you know, disarm a armed opponent, is to rip the f***ing snake's head clean off, you know, and I like that. It's true, you know, if you take out the control centre, hit the head and neck, take the opponent out, the weapon is no longer an issue. If you fixate on the weapon hand and forget about attacking the enemy, the guy will just keep on coming. Fighting a guy who is armed is very bad news, so we've got to do our best to end that fight quickly. Um, now, I don't see armed and unarmed conflicts as requiring two entirely different systems. Surely we should keep things simple and utilise methods that are suitable for both situations. Now, if we take that back to Kata, which is, after all, a record of the physical methods of self-protection, the prevailing uh, methodology is to incapacitate with forceful blows and to do so quickly. It therefore makes little difference to, to that methodology if uh, it's applied um, to an armed enemy or an unarmed enemy. It's the same. Now, just to be clear, just to clarify a little bit, I'm not for one second saying that unarmed defence is all you need to practice and it'll instantly cross over to weapons. Uh, the, the fact that the weapon is there can make things psychologically very different, even if the, kind of, the tactics remain the same. Um, there's also a much greater threat to us if the enemy's armed, obviously, and um, although that no way infects what we actually do, we're still going to try and knock the guy out or get away from him, so there's no, there's no kind of difference there, but psychologically it makes a difference. But th there's no differences at all at the level of principles and concepts, and trying to introduce differences and have separate systems for unarmed and armed opponents makes things more complicated than is needed. We either escape the situation, which is always the preferred option, or if escape is not immediately possible, then we violently attack the enemy in order to incapacitate them. On, on a tactical level, it's the same if the enemy is unarmed, has a knife, has a bottle, has a pool cue, has a gun, even a bow and a tomfer. We get far enough away from the enemy so that they can't hurt us, or we get in there and take them out. Uh, fixating on the weapon is not the way to go. If you fixate on the weapon and try to control it, then the enemy is left uncontrolled and will remain a threat. Now, if you can take control of the limb which, you know, contains the weapon while you're striking, and many of the methods in Kata will facilitate this, then that's great. However, the primary thought is to attack the head and neck. Don't fixate on the weapon. 
when the enemy is incapacitated, the weapon and the limb that's wielding it cease to be a problem. Once the control center stops functioning, the weapon stops being a problem. Now, whilst there are some disarms in kata, um, they always follow striking the enemy. Now, it's much easier to take the weapon away from a semi-conscious or an unconscious man than it is a conscious one. So it's that striking of the head that is the key defense, if you like. And we need to practice this, of course, as well. You know, And a good way to drill this is uh, to practice having uh, an opponent, a partner, uh, go to draw a weapon. And as they do so, you jam the limb and repeatedly hit the head. Um, now, obviously, in a controlled fashion, in sparring, as compromises always need to be made in the name of safety. Um, even when you've got head protection on a good strike, you can still injure the, the partner if you know, care is not taken. Uh, one thing you also do is your partner could also hold a, a focus mitt in the non-drawing hand, so you can practice hitting that hard. Another training method is to start with the weapon drawn, and from there control the limb as you strike. Now the ability to control limbs is also important when fighting unarmed opponents, so we can get to the main targets of the head and neck, and you know they remain unobstructed. Um, so again, it's the striking that will bring the situation to a quick end, not the control of the limb. The primary aim is to take out the control center. The limb control only helps to uh, facilitate that, and as such is not really a prime, uh, a prime, a prime aim. Um, so yeah, you, you need to practice this, you know. And with those two drills, you know, jamming the weapon on the draw, the guy reaches behind him, the, the hand gets jammed, and bang, 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 you know. The, the, it's a hitting of the head. You don't wait till you've got the hand, hand jammed before you start hitting. You try and do both simultaneously. Um, but it's that hitting the head that's the important thing. It's like I said, don't fixate on the weapon. And then the idea, okay, let's say the guy's got the weapon out. You know, okay, we'll practice jamming that arm and trying to control it as we, again, we strike the head violently and repeatedly. And while we're talking on that, it's probably a good idea just to discuss weapons in general, uh, weapons training in general, really. And for me, when you're doing that, you should always use safe replica weapons. Using live blades is, is unnecessarily dangerous and it exposes us to the very situation our training is supposedly telling us to avoid. If we tell our students to avoid engaging with an armed enemy, then we're hypocrites if we force them to do that in training. Um, your students would be better to heed your advice and stay away from the knife-wielding lunatics that exist in your class. Um, replica weapons are the way to go as the safety advantages considerably outweigh than step away from reality. Now, training can always be realistic, and it should be as realistic as practical, but it'll never be real. There's always compromises been been made. If we refuse to make those compromises, then the dojo is probably going to be the most dangerous place your students ever visit. And obviously that's not good, you know. So we need to make the training as realistic as we can whilst acknowledging it will never be real, nor do we want it to be. So anyway, back to kata. Um, we should take the techniques and principles of kata and utilize them in a multitude of situations, and that should definitely include the scenario of the enemy being armed. Uh, now, in my experience, such training will show that the methods of kata are effective in both uh, armed and unarmed situations in the civilian environment, and there's little need to try and categorize all emotions in either one camp or the other. You know, this is armed defense, this is unarmed defense, you know. Um, the primary methods will work just fine in both situations. Uh, I mean, after all, a solid shutter to the throat will drop an armed enemy as quickly as an unarmed one. Um, karate's secondary grappling methods, you know, there are locking and throwing in there, um, they're always something that are forced upon us. So again, it's essentially an irrelevance whether the enemy is armed or not. We never want to grapple with them, doesn't matter whether he's armed or not. Now, as Funakoshi said, after he'd explained that karate contains locking and throwing, he said, um, never forget that the essence of karate is in striking. Great care should be taken to avoid being defeated through being overly concerned with applying a throw or a lock. Um, so armed or unarmed, we'll get in there and we'll take the enemy out. 
It's never good to grapple with an enemy, especially an armed one, but if we have to, then we have to, and those methods are in the kata, you know. Um, so as the old masters told us, the keys to self-protection are awareness and avoidance. Now, this shouldn't ever be ignored or slighted or overlooked, or yeah, 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 but let's talk about the fighting. You know, it, it, it's absolutely key. Fighting is what happens when self-protection has gone wrong. But if despite our best efforts, things do get physical, then we go for the control centre of the head and neck. Now, armed or unarmed, we never think defensively or reactively. Uh, don't look for the fancy disarms and the strips. You know, get, get in there, take the guy out and do it quickly, violently and directly. Uh, don't think of weapon defence as being entirely different from unarmed defence. In fact, don't think of weapon defence at all. It's not weapon defence because you don't defend yourself against the weapon. Think instead of enemy attack. Get in there, take the guy out. Now, this is the way to go, regardless of whether the enemy is armed or not, and it is the primary methods of kata. So just to kind of quickly recap that, if we've got to fight, we get in there and we take the guy out. And that is what kata uh, encourages us to do, and that's how we should approach a real situation. If the guy's armed, then we've got to get in there and take him out, or we get away from him. If he's unarmed, we get in there and we take him out, or we get away from him. There's not as big a difference as people think. And the important thing is not to fixate upon the weapon. I hope you enjoyed that uh, podcast and found it of some use. Um, we'll be back with another one uh, next month. Uh, in the meantime, if you haven't already, please check out jisonmag.com, uh, dot com, where you can download the latest uh, issue, and also pop along to the news page of ianabernethy.com and check out Satma and see if that would be uh, of interest to you. And I say we'll be uh, there'll be a, po uh, a podcast uh, going out to all interested people, uh, and we'll stick it up on the blog um, on its own special page, and it'll be um, password protected as well. So again, it's just for people who've expressed an interest. But if you may be interested in Satma, then uh, just send an email to satma at ianabernethy.com and uh, Helen will add you to the list and uh, make sure you get receive all the information on that. So, yep, uh, thanks once again for listening in, and I'll be back uh, soon uh, with a new uh, podcast. So until then, uh, stay lucky, I'll speak to you soon. Bye now.